Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I get to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. And in this episode, number 421, I'm welcoming back to the show a fan favorite, Sissy Goff. I talk about past, present, and future in the book and that anxiety tries to define our past, distract us in the present, and defeat us in the future when we're not even there. And so we've got to go to each of those three places and do the work of dealing with, why is this anxiety here? What can I do about it? And how can I not let it make me forecast into the future for my kids and for myself? I am such a fan of Sissy. In real life, she is amazing. Her insight on parenting and on our kids and their development has been so helpful to me over the years. I've also had one of her co-workers, David Thomas, on the show. They actually co-host a podcast called Raising Boys and Girls that you could check out or Google any episodes I've done in the past with Sissy and David. They're amazing. David tends to specialize talking about parenting related to boys and Sissy related to girls. Today, though, Sissy's helping us out with our own anxiety. Now, I know it is hard to be a completely worry-free parent, but she's going to help us recognize how anxiety is making its way into our everyday lives, how to process it in healthy ways rather than passing it along to our kids and connect more deeply and more freely with our children in the process. Check out her new book that's coming out called The Worry-Free Parent. It is so helpful. Their resources are fantastic. Anything by Sissy or David, you are going to find so much help. So let's get right to it. Here we go. Sissy, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Oh, Heather, I'm always so honored to get to be with you. I just wish we were in person sitting together. I know, I know, because we've done it. We love it. Y'all, you and David, top tier in my mind. And just so honored to call you friends and well, right incredibly back grateful. Well, incredibly grateful for all of the resources and wisdom and not just wisdom that comes from reading a lot of books, but from experience. And y'all have walked through it this year as the place for mental health for a lot of students who went through a mass tragedy in Nashville. And Today, we're going to talk about, man, we're seeing a lot of anxiety in our kids, but what about us as parents? Yes. And you wrote, <laughs> you wrote the book, The Worry-Free Parent. And what I appreciated is this quote from you that it says, your goal is to reframe worry, that Mr. Rogers admitted it's not possible to be a parent with having without having times of worry, but with the right perspective and appropriate self-reflection and proven tools, parents can turn away from anxiety. So I think a good place to start would be to talk about, and I know you've shared a little bit of this in other episodes we've done on girls and anxiety and worry, this spectrum, the difference between worrying and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love that question because I think it's confusing. And you know, mm -hmm. I my mom was a worrier. I don't know if you grew up with parents who were worriers, but my mom used to say it's I, a parent's I've, job I've to worry. I've done a lot of reflection. <laughs> oh, it's your job to worry? Her job? Yeah, yeah. that's mm -hmm. what she would say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was saying that after reading your book, I was realizing 
yeah, my, my dad was always very fearful, but recognizing how much anxiety he probably held, he lost a parent when he was young. And so I think, mm. yeah, I've done some reflecting and that's part of your book, but this like yes. difference between it's my job to worry about, do you have right. shoes or a coat and it's cold outside <laughs> and anxiety? Right. <laughs> yes. And I, I think what's hard, well, I'll come back to that. So really the definition, I would say, like you said, we all worry about all those things that you mentioned. And, and part of what happens when we worry, we have the thought come in, worry is productive or fear is productive, anxiety is counterproductive. And so the thought comes in when we're in a healthy place, and we do whatever we need to do to take care of that, which is making us worried or afraid in the moment. When we're anxious, we have this thought come in, often an intrusive, irrational thought. And rather than leading us to productivity, it gets stuck and it loops mm. around and around and around in our minds in this way that it has more and more power as it's doing that. And the interesting thing, we talked about this, I know, before with kids, but but anxiety is always looking for context. And so basically, it takes the thing we're most afraid of, the thing we really place the most importance on. And that's where we get stuck in the sloop. So when we talk about little kids, it's why often it's throwing up because the worst thing they can imagine happening at their age is vomiting. And maybe it'll embarrass them at school. And so all of a sudden, their tummy feels a little funky. And they think, Oh, no, I'm gonna throw up, I'm gonna throw up, I'm gonna throw up. And then that just perpetuates itself. And it goes on for months until we do something to help. Well, what's confusing is as we track development and talk about what kids care about the most, we hit adulthood and so many parents will say to me, I never had any anxiety until, mm. what would you say? The kids. Yeah, yeah and, kids. until I had kids, yeah. right. Because yeah. the thing you care about, you care that much more. And so it is so easy, I think, as parents for those looping thoughts to feel like, well, this is helpful or I've got to mm. worry in this way rather than realizing we're kind of defeating ourselves in the, the process. And the increase in anxiety, I know you talk a lot about that in the book too, related to the culture of busyness and just not having space. Also, probably the comparison through social social media and the good and the bad that we're seeing that we wouldn't see if we were just in our own context. And then I'm guessing the real hard things we've just walked through. Like people are walking through some really hard um, things, I feel like. Right. Yeah, none of my friends have been untouched by something hard in the last five years, whether it's, I mean, we all went through the massive pandemic, but I'm even thinking like personal health or marriage troubles or work related, like it just seems there are real hard things. And so I'm sure that gives context, even outside of our kids, to anxiety, to feel like, I don't know why it needs context. <laughs> Like it just needs a place to grow. Is that what you're saying? Like Exactly. It, it needs something to attach to because I think for a lot okay. of us, we have probably been anxious for years and we didn't know that's what was going on. And I talk about past, present and future in the book and that anxiety tries to define our past, distract us in the present and defeat us in the future when we're not even there. Mm. And so we've got to go to each of those three places and do the work of dealing with why is this anxiety here? What can I do about it? And how can I not let it 
make me forecast into the future for my kids and for myself, because that's one of the biggest fallouts of it. And so, yes, I think it is often happening inside of us because of our own past or because of our own wiring. I mean, I'm a type A one on the Enneagram and I'm just anxious. And I, I think I used to think I was productive and I wasn't anxious, but spoiler alert, anybody who's a type A, we are anxious. And so I think often Mm -hmm. When I'm just feeling that way and I'm not processing my own emotions, then it's going to pick something that has nothing to do with anything else. And it's going to attach like a piece of, I don't even know what you would throw up on the wall, a piece of pasta on the wall. You know, it's just going to attach you, aren't to Aren't you something. about to wallpaper? You're going to yeah, wallpaper. That's right. You? That's right. Yeah, like a piece of wallpaper. <laughs> and it attaches. And then that's what we loop about. And again, the things that we care the most. And so it becomes the kids in our lives. Mm. Mm. And I feel like I went through seasons when I had lots of little boys, I was incredibly anxious. And I would say that I was an anxious child. I would say I had an anxious parent. And so it made sense to me that I was anxious as a young parent. I don't, I think the anger showed up that was surprising. And we've talked about that many times, like how it's a secondary emotion. But I think the anxiety just exploded in so many different ways, anxious about their safety, anxious about doing it right, anxious about other people's opinions because of four boys. I just couldn't control. Yes. <laughs> like, yes, there was no control. Aww. There was no control. And so um, I think I, I worked through a lot of that and I think I was in a better place. But now with teens, I'm mm. finding it come back with a vengeance because it's a whole new, why am I crying? It's a whole new world to navigate. Yeah, it is. And it's so hard. It's so hard. Yeah. Teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. Are tough. And I think what you said about past, present, future, that's where I feel like I was fine. And then when actual things happen, now that's the past that I'm trying to prevent in the future through control and and anxiety feels like it's helping. Yes. But I know it's not. Right. But I just... Can't help yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's our go-to for all of us is control because we think, I mean, not that we're trying to be arrogant in any way, but somehow we think we've got to step in and help because... That is your job as a mom. It feels like to fix it. And there have been so many things up until adolescence. There really are a lot of things you can step in and control and fix. Even when consciously, you know, it doesn't work. There's still little things you can do that kind of almost (laughs) lull you into thinking it's going to work. And it's just not. Kelly Corrigan is one of my favorite authors. And there's a quote in the book, and I don't remember it. But it's she says something like, Parenting is like air traffic control. There's so many things to do and so many things to watch. There's not even time to scratch your ankle. I mean, it's something like that. It's hilarious. And I think, oh my gosh, you're right, Heather. And I, you know, there are a million reasons I'm so grateful for who you are and what you do in this podcast. But I'm so grateful for your honesty in that because I have, in 30 years of counseling, I've never seen as many parents feel defeated. I've never seen as many parents anxious, and I've never seen as many parents who thankfully can be honest behind the closed doors of my counseling office to say, I am losing it more than I've ever lost it. I'm getting so angry. I mean, I think at this point in my career, working with, I don't know how many thousands of families I've worked with, I really believe every angry parent 
is anxious. And I believe every anxious parent is anxious because you love the fire out of your kids. You care about them so much (laughs) and you want what's best for them and you see it and you don't know how to get them there. And so out of that lack of control, it's just so easy to get that way. But it is reflective of this beautiful part of who God made you to be. I mean, you, Heather, you love those boys fiercely. And of course, you want so much good for them. And in 2023, I think more than ever, I mean, if we just isolated technology, but then we add on, I think kids are more mean than they've ever been. We talk about school shootings. I mean, there's so many things that they are facing that we did not have to face in our little narcissistic selves. And our parents didn't know enough to worry. <laughs> now they're a little more no, clueless. No, that's the other thing I was going to ask you about. Like, there are tools that I have where I can track, you know, where they are. But I'm like, is that actually feeding it? Oh, it yes. I think it makes it worse. I saw the headmaster of a very affluent school in Nashville, headmistress, I should say. And we were at at my sister's clothing store. And she said, you know, the online school system. I mean, this was about eight years ago. So I bet she's having to give in. But she said, I'm not even doing it at my school. I'm not doing it. I have so many parents who are anxious already. I think it's only going to make the problem worse. And I think you're right. We know too much about what's going on with them. You know, if the only way my parents could have found out what was going on with me is if they picked up the receiver with the spiral cord in the other room on the phone and listened to my three hour phone call for 20 minutes. But I would have heard them and I would have said, please get off the phone. I probably would have said it rudely. Yes. (laughs) And not like that. But you know what I mean? We just we're too aware in a lot of ways. Yeah, 100 percent. I was so excited. My Thrive Market order arrived yesterday and I thought, oh, this is perfect. I can talk to everyone once again about why I love Thrive Market because it is my go-to for all organic grocery household essentials. It's so convenient. It gets shipped super quickly and it's such a time saver. And every time I save a lot of money on my order, especially y'all know getting these special brands can get expensive. And I really love Rouse. R-A-O-S, their homemade marinara sauce, and I got it 26% off. And the more you buy, actually, you get cash back. I also was able to get my shampoo and conditioner from a cure for 20% off. Primal Kitchen, they have if you are a Primal Kitchen fan, you know I got their no dairy queso style spicy queso, and it was 6% off. I mean, some of these things, you know, they're so delicious. They're so good for us, but they can cost a lot. And so I'm thankful that Thrive Market helps save money. I also was tempted to purchase, and uh, I was excited when it came in, these Blender Bombs by Blender Bomb. It's called the Mother of Dragons, and you add it into your smoothie, and it adds um, essential vitamins and extra goodies into your smoothies, which I think is really, really fantastic. Also, If you have specific dietary needs or your family is looking for something specific, they have over 70 filters on their website, so they make it super easy to curate your own shopping experience, whether you're looking for certified gluten-free snacks or non-toxic cleaning essentials. So many ways to kind of narrow in, like if I was looking for a specific type of sunscreen or a specific snack, the free gift I received for this order was a little pack of some tuna, some Primal Kitchen 
avocado oil mayonnaise and some food should taste good multi-grain tortilla chips, which are so delicious. Anyway, if y'all want to check it out, I have a deal for you today. If you join in on the savings with Thrive Market, you will get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. So go to thrivemarket.com slash DMA for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash DMA, thrivemarket.com slash DMA. One thing you've written about and experienced is you'll have a child come in with issues with anxiety and you have found that it tends to be that the parent, one parent also. So y'all, if you have a child with anxiety, this might be a good book to pick up to do some work on yourself. Like I'm sharing about my own challenges. If you may be even thinking, well, that's not me. Maybe dig, maybe get curious (laughs) about your own state. Because I'm telling you what, I was looking through it and I was like, there was this good mix. I told Sissy this, a good mix of a little bit of conviction and grace and hope of like, there's some real tools in here to help. But I think even reading through how anxiety can show up in a variety of parenting approaches, ones that we've heard about, things like helicopter parenting, I would think you would automatically, most parents would be like, oh yeah, helicopter parenting. No, 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 no. Right. There's more than just helicopter parenting. <laughs> I think, so tell us like, I mean, in a little bit of time, like what are some of those ways that it can show up just in case a parent is like, no, that's not me. I'm, I'm fine. Um, <laughs> that we might, we anxiety might be showing up in our parenting methods. Well, helicopter parenting is definitely an official one where we are hovering over watching everything that's happening. And I am definitely seeing that more than ever before. But there are a few trends of things I'm seeing with parents, too, that I just made these up. But it feels like the things I'm seeing the most. So great. Helicopter parenting's one. Backhoe parenting would be another. Obviously, I have a four-year-old nephew, so I'm learning a lot about tractors. But backhoe parenting where we are doing our best to clean up after them all along the way rather than let them experience the consequences of their own failure, whether it's having to work through the fact that they just hurt someone's feelings that, you know, I have a family who the daughter, I've not seen them in years, but the daughter did not get elected to the student council office she wanted and the parents threatened to sue the school. Really threatened to sue the school. Yes. I mean, that would be, and that's a very extreme version but that would be backhoe parenting. I'm going to clean up all their messes and make sure they're okay because messes aren't good for them. Whereas we know, I mean, disappointment isn't good for them. Like any uh, kind of disappointment, yes. any kind of missed opportunity. Yeah. Yes. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm going to pause on our five. I'm going to come back to the five things, but I would encourage as we're talking about this, I want every parent who's listening to write down three of your biggest learning points when you were growing up? What are three of the things that were most crucial in what you learned that were transformational? And my guess is they were through disappointment or failure or struggle. I mean, that's certainly true for me. Not making cheerleading was one or of even, the biggest things. Or even not even just, <laughs> what, what kind of cheerleading? What'd you say? I just didn't make cheerleading in seventh grade and it was devastating, but it sure transformed. I mean, I, I think it 
put me on the road to becoming part of who I am today. Because I went from wanting to be a cheerleader to being in all these leadership positions at my school that I wouldn't have had time for. But yeah, you know, my mom didn't threaten to call the school. I mean, they're directional. Right. (laughs) They're direct. I mean, like I remember I I was at a I think some conference and the guy who was leading music, amazing musician. And it was because he broke his leg and couldn't play football. And so he picked up the guitar. Like it was again a disappointment, or it's, you know, you didn't think that you would want to try something, but you didn't make the other thing. So helping our kids pivot necessarily is different from backhoeing, which is yes. making the thing happen that they wanted, that you thought they wanted, that was the plan. Yeah. yeah. Or even okay, just responsibility-wise, so- like the kids who don't do the homework and you're doing the, you're writing the essays for them and you're, you know, I thought that was cleaning really up their toys at four years of age. Any of the things that we're helping them learn to clean up their messes and empowering them to do so because anxious kids, a lot of it is connected to their own feelings of incapability. And so we want to help them learn that they're capable. So, okay, helicopter parenting, backhoe parenting, snowplow parenting, where it's rather than cleaning up their messes, I'm going to pave the road, clear it all out. So there aren't bumps along the way that are going to cause them distress. We would all understand that one for sure. Then sidecar parenting. And I see a lot of parents. I remember one mom in particular, who her daughter was struggling with friends. And she said, when I was growing up, I was really anxious. And so I would hang back and I didn't know how to make friends. And so I think that's exactly what's going on with her. And so I want you to help her work through all these issues. And her mom was doing a lot of facilitating, a lot of really kind of almost over encouraging her in some ways that weren't necessarily true. And when I met this girl, in fact, I think the problem was the opposite. She was overly confident and actually missing a lot of social cues because her mom was sidecar parenting and snowplow parenting and facilitating everything for her. And so we want to be really aware of that. It's really called transference and counseling. But my experience is not necessarily their experience. And we want to be aware of where that line gets blurry, whether it's friendships, whether it's experiences they're going through. There are a million places that we can easily fall into that. Then backhoe parenting, Four. Okay, the last one I would say is parade float parenting. And that would be a parent who is just doing their best to make everything fun and happy and entertaining along the way. I've talked a lot about my mom who was anxious, but my mom, one of the things she did for us, this is, I didn't even know this was not normal until I grew up. (laughs) But Heather, when I was, we had, we love dogs in our family. I still love dogs. And yeah, when we were growing up, if we had a dog die, My mom, you can't even do this anymore in the age of the internet and designer dogs, but my mom would go out and buy the same kind of dog the same day and name it the same thing. No. Yeah. So we had two Dixies, two Blues. (laughs) And I think her mother did it. Well, I did know, but I think it was... I don't I don't even know what my thought process was. I think it was like, oh, you're sad, but here's a puppy. And and when my first adult dog died, I happened to be home for a weekend. And I, I remember just sitting at the breakfast table sobbing, saying, I miss Noelle so much. I miss her. And my mom saying, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. We've got to go find a puppy. I mean, 
just she just wanted it to be fun. She no didn't want me grieving. to be sad. No grieving, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. And kids mm-hmm. need to grieve. You know, in all of these things that we're talking about, we could go back to suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. That is yeah. the pathway yeah. to hope that scripture lays out for us. And so we have got to let them go through the struggle. Yeah. I mean, in each of those, like if y'all found yourself in that, man, like with the parade float, your kids kind of start learning, they like might overly emote. So if you're trying to make everybody happy and then they're like really, really upset, like they're screaming their eyes, they're screaming, really, really angry. They're they're like, you obviously don't feel my emotion because you're not addressing it and labeling it. So I've got to make it really, really strong or they're disconnecting is what you said. And so- they're not even trusting their own feelings because they're yes. not validated in any way. I thought that was really interesting. Like in a lot of these things, in a lot of these approaches, in trying to get one thing, we're actually not like we're yes. we're actually working against ourselves. Great. Yes, that's a great Out way of to say that. And, and if we were gonna go Enneagram for a second, I would say I've seen a large amount of family dynamics where a four child who gets bigger in their emotions has a seven parent who could be a quintessential parade float parent because it's that exact idea of I've got to get big enough to get you to stop and see me and hear me. And we're working against ourselves, as you said. Well, and I was curious with like, okay, you could be that anxious parent. And it seems to me that some kids who are already pre-wired to have unproductive thinking and fearful thinking and future planning, that they are just going to – like that just feeds where they already are. Like I'm seeing how in some of my boys, my anxiety had bigger effects than in other boys who are more like independent thinkers and like not driven by fear. So I just, I was curious if you've noticed, like, I mean, I'm sure you're in a family, not, they're not bringing all of their kids in to see you. There's certain kids that it, it's going it to attach and manifest more. and yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And typically the oldest, I think it attaches to the most conscientious. Yes. The kids, uh-huh. I mean, it's like we talked about before, it's all these beautiful things about who those kids are. And it's all these beautiful things about who the anxious parent is too conscientious, yeah. try yeah. hard, cares deeply, all those amazing things. So yes, it will attach itself to, and I used to would have said one, the oldest. I think if you had asked me 12 years ago today, I would say it is more than one in a lot of families. Sadly and and depends on, yeah, how they're kind of wired and already yeah. thinking. Yes. And your family experience. Yeah, so let's say you've done the deep work on yourself. You're getting curious about your own reactions with your kids. You're not just reacting and responding. You're kind of identifying what kind of parenting method you tend towards that's not productive. What do we do in the moment? So I've become aware of like, oh my gosh, I am (laughs) micromanaging all the people Mm. out of a place of anxiety and control. And then what do I do? Like, Becoming yes. aware is the first step, but right. then what? Yeah. And I have a whole <laughs> chapter for the micromanaging parent with some practical things. But I mean, in the moment. So 
if you were in my counseling office and this was happening, where in the moment you were anxious, they were anxious, one of you was getting angry, the other one, you know, I really think there's something that happens. Our amygdala is the part of the brain that takes over when we're anxious or angry. And I I do not know the science behind this, and I may be making <laughs> this up, but <laughs> what I'm seeing in counseling is I think it's like a sorority house or a college dorm. If somebody's amygdala gets triggered, everybody's amygdala gets triggered. Just like if someone on your hall started their period and everyone started their period. I think (laughs) there's something similar with that. And so I do think in the moment, if we were going to talk in counseling, I would say a couple things. One is I want you as a family to have a code word where anybody could say that word and we all pause. Because if we're functioning out of our amygdala, nobody's getting to a helpful, productive place. We're not going to have this life-giving, nurturing conversation that everybody's taking nuggets from when we're functioning in that way. And so to pause can be one of the best things. And I think a code word can help us do that sometimes. And Heather, okay, a funny thing about Hopetown, you know, we're in the middle of Kentucky, nowhere Kentucky. And the guy who is like the grounds handy guy, his name is Slick Broadway. It's his real name, Slick Broadway. Slick Broadway. so... He is outside with his little do rag on. And if he starts talking, I'm going to, I'll go out and tell him to be quiet. Okay. So what would be a good word? What are some words you've heard people use? I'm like, I'm thinking like well, ba- banana hammocks is what's coming yes. in my brain. That's oh, not I good. love that one. No, I think honestly, <laughs> okay. I think anything that would make y'all laugh can be the best. Okay. I think something that your family would think was funny. I have had people say bananas. I mean, I, I just have had people say anything that they can come up with. So pause and then I want you to separate and I want you to have a space they go to go I don't know what episode David's been on here talking about the space but you could link it to the show notes but I think having a space (laughs) in your house each person goes and does some deep breathing that's where we want to start actually I I had a conversation with a mom a few months ago and she was her kids were becoming teenagers and she was so stressed. And she said, I was on a a walk and I saw these two moms that live in my neighborhood who both have seventh graders. And I said, tell me what I'm supposed to do. I'm so nervous about this age. What's your best tip for navigating adolescence? And she said, literally at the same time, they both said, hide. (laughs) (laughs) Which I love that. And I think that can be part of the wisdom of this code word. So Everybody says banana hammocks. Somebody says banana hammocks and everybody goes and hides. And in that moment, the first thing I want you to do, as silly as it sounds, we've talked about it before. I'm sure David's talked about it on here too. I want you to go do some deep breathing. Because when we can do that kind of mindset type breathing, mindfulness breathing, it's going to change the blood flow in our brain and take it back to the prefrontal cortex that helps us think rationally and manage our emotions. And Square breathing, box breathing that everybody's heard about. There's also four, seven, eight breathing, which gets you into more diaphragmatic breathing, which is really helpful where you breathe in for four seconds, hold it for seven, and then breathe out for eight. Wow. And that was, yeah, it's a long time. Um, But it's helpful because it gets you, it stimulates the vagus nerve more, which regulates the cortisol in your brain, which is the stress hormone, does all these amazing things that have to do with how God made us to get back into the sympathetic nervous system that calms us down. So that's a way to do it. Back into the zone. We've done done an episode on the window of tolerance, like getting back in the window. Like exactly. All that vagal 
work. Yes. The fight or flight and then back in the window or the collapse. Yeah. But okay, so one thing I'm thinking of as you're saying, everybody go their space, is I have some strong-willed, I have some strong-willed children. Uh So like I have a feeling like the fight or flight gets triggered in everybody and then they're like, no, I don't want to go. That's fine. You you can't control them in that moment, but you can't control yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. But you go. So I just go. Go and lock your door if you need to. Get away from them. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then there's got to be some res- repair because in my brain, yeah. I or in my experience, it feels like the pattern of conflict resolution in our fam is to then never come back around, to never loop back around. Like it's just like, okay, that was a conflict, whatever, and we never mm-hmm. repair. Yes. And the repair is so important. I love that you brought that up. Yeah. So coming yeah. back and and I really would start with, again, I think anxious kids feel incapable. They become very dependent on us and then it creates this self-fulfilling prophecy. So anytime we can empower anxious kids, we're actually, we're challenging the neural pathway that leads to more anxiety. We're giving them opportunities to develop new neural pathways that help them believe they're more capable. And so to come back and even start with, hey, tell me what you feel like just happened. Let's go back through that from your perspective. What do you want to do differently? And then I'm going to talk about what I want to do differently too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you made a real, one thing we did not talk about with anxiety is that it distorts. Yes, anxiety distorts. It distorts the true experience and that could be true in our family but it also could be true with friends and social dynamics if your child is struggling socially and you're only hearing their side and you have an anxious child maybe consider the fact that distorts so Hmm. these questions same again because i feel like they're really good what should we tell me what you feel like just happened what do you Mm want to do differently yeah if they tell me what they think just happened and i'm like that is not true how do i respond to that well, and and I'm glad you said that because as it makes things bigger, it's often going to be a different story or if they're adolescents. Adolescents are functioning more out of their amygdala than I think any other age just on a given day when things are calmer. And so they will often say, well, you were yelling at me when you feel like, oh, no, I wasn't yelling at all. But I also want to say some yelling. I'll tell you some (laughs) yelling. Right. But I also want to say, I think when we're anxious, especially as women, I think we're significantly more intense. And intensity becomes anger in a child's mind. And how it it feels to them. Yes. So mm-hmm. I think I think it can be worthwhile if they say, well, you were yelling at me to say, oh, honey, I, I really am so sorry. I did not mean to sound like I was yelling. I was talking strongly or I think my voice sounded intense or sounded strong, but I didn't mean to yell at you. Mm-hmm. I just wanted the, the process to stop or however we want to explain that a little bit with a little short snippet and then to say, but I, I hear you that it felt that way. So I had a girl that I was working with who ended up having to be sent to a wilderness program because she just couldn't regulate her behavior at home and had a lot of tools and they weren't working. And anyway, while she was there, she learned this conflict resolution tool that I really thought was fascinating called VOMP. And what it involves, it's a four-step process. And so what you do is you start with sharing your emotions, ventilating your emotions, venting your emotions. So 
This is how I felt. You know, tell me what you were feeling. This is what I was feeling. And then ownership where, what do you think you could have done differently? Well, I yelled and called you a name, whatever it is. And then M stands for moccasins, but it's kind of, it's that adage of walk a mile in someone else's moccasins or their shoes. So what do you think it felt like to be that person in that moment? What do you think it felt like to be your brother just then? And then P, I can't remember. Oh, P is we come up with a plan together. And that's part of the repair is what can we do next time? How could we all stop? Mm -hmm. And, you know, in that moment, I tried to take a break. What would it have looked like for you to have taken a break? And how could I have helped you? Because I think that could have prevented us Mm -hmm. to getting us from getting to this place where actually now you're going to have a consequence too. And I hate that. I'm sad about that for you. Yeah. Thank you, Sissy. This is all so good. I have been realizing lately how I've been idolizing a couple of things in our family. One is peace and one is connectedness. Mm. And they're not bad things. Those, I was about to say those but are I do great think things to they, idolize. But they cause the anxiety when they're not present or they lead to controlling behaviors when I'm trying to force peace or connectedness. And so I know there are other moms out there feeling similar things. What advice would you have for me, selfishly, mm. that you could also share for moms? Just read well, the book. <laughs> that's a good one. I, I think I would, I mean, you know, again, if you and I were sitting in a counseling office, I would say, tell me more about that. Yeah. What is your fear underneath that if we lose our peace in this moment, if we lose connectedness in this moment, because that whole idea of anxiety ma- makes us attach future meaning to present problems. Yes. So what do you feel Future like meaning to happen? present problems is such a yes. great, yes. So that's what a lot of moms do when they're like, they have a two-year-old and they, they steal something from a friend. They're like, oh my gosh, they're going to prison. Like you're exactly. deciding, you know, or they, they can't get their homework done and they're in fifth grade, it's like they're never going to go to college. Like right. we've decided An 11-year-old who can't it. clean up their room is never going to be able to drive a car and manage their own life. Yes, exactly. We're projecting. Yes, and, and I so, think probably, yeah, it's probably related to future connectedness as a family when they're adults. Yes, yeah. yeah. And so thinking about how do I prioritize their character, prioritize who they're becoming, yeah in this moment over that idol that I've created. And like you said, we all have them. It's just something. And, and the, the beautiful thing or the merciful thing that God does is the fact that when we have those ruptures of relationship, when we have this kind of tension, it does reveal to us what our idols are in that moment. It reveals to us what we're prioritizing over sometimes their growth, which is tough. Yeah. You're such a good counselor. You're such a good counselor. Well, you're such a great mom. And it's because you want really good things for your kids. Well, I I will take that. I think you you start at the very beginning. The very, very first sentence is a mom coming to you and said, I need you to tell me two things. First, that what I'm feeling is normal. And second, that I'm doing a good job. And I was like, boom. That's what moms need. So they need you to tell them. I know. And I hope that is woven throughout the book. This is complicated. Yes. This is not a straight line formula, but very normal. If it wasn't normal, 
we wouldn't need a book for it. And the fact that you're picking up a book and caring about living with less anxiety and parenting with less anxiety means you're a good parent you're that you even are parent. listening to this podcast. So yes, yes. Yeah. And your kids will see that yeah. eventually. Eventually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when they, maybe. Sissy, you're so great. We are so thankful for you. And y'all, there are so many more tools in here beyond what we just talked through. So I really do, I don't share a lot of resources that are books on my show, but when I do, I'm serious about them. So please go check this one out. Follow Sissy and David on their podcast, although I wish I'd started a network and they were part of my network because they're so amazing. It would have been such a blast, but you are fantastic. I will put links to all the places people can connect with you online and I hope we get to talk soon. Thank you, friend. Me too. I'm just delighted to get to talk with you today. I hope that gave you something to think about and consider for your own parenting journey. Um, What parenting style are you using? Where is your anxiety? What What context is it attaching to? What future problem are you projecting with the present reality? And I'm just going to pray over us because there is a spiritual aspect to this. I know there's also can be a chemical one. And I hope that if there is a bigger issue that you're realizing in yourself, you're resonating with a lot of what Sissy said, that you would reach out and consult a professional's help. It's this gift in parenting that some things come to the surface when we have kids, but the key is when they come to the surface, do we get the help we need to become more whole people and healthy people as we're growing. We're all growing and changing and being more sanctified day after day. So I'm going to pray over us. Lord, I know that you tell us over and over again, do not fear, do not fear. And yet fear is hardwired in us. And so Lord, when our fear becomes irrational and is rooted in untruth, I pray that you would help us, help us to get the skills and the centering and the help that we need. I pray that we would talk with one another. I pray that we would reach out to professionals. I pray that if there's any uh, medication or help we need to get our minds centered on truth and focused on what is real and the problems in front of us, that we could get that help. Lord, I pray that this conversation, um, Although it's hard and it may stir up things and a mom or dad listening, that ultimately the goal would be a healthier way to parent, dependent on you, trusting that you're always at work. (laughs) I feel like I pray that every week, Lord, but we know you are at work. You haven't forgotten us and you surround us. And I pray, Lord, that we would find our comfort in you, God, and that you would help us rewire our brains to believe you more, grow our faith, God, um, but also give us the skills and the techniques we need to navigate what is the worry and fear and anxiety that we feel. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm always so careful that I don't just say, oh, it's a spiritual answer to anxiety or fear. I know that there is more, and I hope you have heard that in other episodes we've done on anything related to anxiety, but 
Please check the show notes too and listen to other episodes I've done with Sissy and David and definitely pre-order Sissy's book. I think it comes out next week. Uh, Such a great resource. And like I told her, a little of conviction, a little bit of also hand-holding and grace and real guidance to move forward and do things a little differently, a little more whole and healthy. And next week, join me back here because... Surprise, surprise, Cynthia and I are back with another episode. Y'all said that you loved the summer, so we're back with a little summer recap heading into the next school year. All right, see you here next week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us, moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3:17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.